Welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I'm your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 77 with my special guest, Mario Savoldi, who I'll be talking to in just a few moments. Before we get to the conversation with Mario, a couple things to mention. First, I'm excited this week to plug a very special and fun podcast appearance that I just completed and that was just posted. Uh, This one's behind a subscriber paywall, so not everyone may be able to access this, but I was recently interviewed by the producer, Brendan McDonald, of Mark Maron's WTF podcast. Of course, you probably know it's one of the biggest podcasts on the planet, Mark Maron's WTF. And as part of that podcast, On the subscriber level, there's all these bonus episodes that Brendan does himself, Brendan, uh, the producer of the show, and a lot of them have to do with professional wrestling. So he was able to reach out to me through a mutual friend, and he wanted to have me on to talk about the dirt sheets, to talk about the state of wrestling journalism such as it is, to talk about my time at WWE Magazine. And we even got to talk about the Shut Up and Wrestle podcast. It was a blast. And again, if you want to check it out, if you are a subscriber to Mark Maron WTF podcast, on the subscriber level, you will find it as the most recent bonus episode, the July 14th, 2023 bonus episode. I posted a link to it in the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group for people who are subscribers. If you want to check it out, it was really cool. Hey, you know what? Even if you're not a subscriber, If you want to subscribe just to listen to this, hey, I'm not going to be mad at you. It's five bucks. So, you know, do what you want. The ball is in your court. But thank you to Brendan for having me on the show. Always fun to talk to fellow wrestling fans. Check it out if you get a chance. A couple of upcoming appearances for me related to Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. If you'd like to come by, say hello. Maybe buy an autographed book. Again, I wouldn't be mad at you. One of them is... July 29th, I've been talking about it, the New England Fan Fest in Warwick, Rhode Island. I will be there. I will have a table there. It is at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. And uh, I'll be there from about 9 to 5 on Saturday, July 29th. So come on down. The other one I wanted to mention is the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I have been going there three years running now. This is the third annual induction ceremony. It'll be taking place Saturday, August 26th at the MVP Arena in Albany, New York. During the day, see the induction ceremony is in the evening. During the day, there's a merchandise room. I will have a table there. I will be appearing there, signing copies again of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. 
whom I hope, by the way, the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame will eventually induct. I'll be happy to write that profile when they do. But having said that, if you happen to be attending, come on down, come say hello, maybe buy a book if you want. I will sign it for you. Again, that's the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame ceremony, Saturday, August 26th at the MVP Arena in Albany. Okay, now, having said all that, I'd like to get to this really great conversation that I had. Now, I recently interviewed Mario for the Gorilla Monsoon book, as you'll hear me mention and talk about here, and I knew right away this was a perfect guest for our show, and I was contacted by Dan Archambault, who works with Mario on a project that he has currently going on, which is called the Ultimate Classic Wrestling Network. It is kind of a Roku app. It's a paid subscription service that features tons of wrestling footage that is owned by the Savoldi family, some of which is is Savoldi Wrestling, some of which is other wrestling organizations and shows that the Savoldis produced for other promoters. And it's all being featured now on this new subscription network, which we'll talk about here on the show. And Dan Archambault, who is kind of like Mario's tech guy and the guy who really keeps the wheels turning on Ultimate Classic Wrestling, he joins us briefly on this episode as well. You're going to want to hear about that network. I think it's advertised basically as being the largest vintage wrestling archive video archive outside of WWE itself. So it's enjoyable. I'm a subscriber. There's great stuff on there. But we talk about lots of other things, including Mario and his legendary father, Angelo Savoldi, their career working for the McMahon organization, doing their own professional wrestling, sabotaging Eddie Einhorn's IWA at the behest of Vince McMahon Sr., and other great stuff like that. This is a can't-miss episode. You're going to love it. And I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome uh, somebody who I've had the pleasure to get to know because of working on the Gorilla Monsoon biography that I've been working on. And when we had that conversation, I immediately knew that I wanted to have him on as a guest on the show so people could hear some of the great stories and memories that he has. I'm talking about a, a second generation wrestling promoter, the son of the great Angelo Savoldi, who in addition to being a promoter, was one of the me members of Vince McMahon Sr.'s inner circle, as well as one of the longest reigning junior heavyweight champions of all time. And I have with me here his son, also one of the people, or actually I should say the wrestling family behind International World Class Championship Wrestling, which a lot of us remember from back in the 80s and 90s. I know some of the earliest wrestling events that I ever went to as a kid. And these days he's also working on a uh, an archived streaming wrestling library, which we'll be talking about a little later, called Ultimate Classic Wrestling. I'm talking about my guest this week, Mr. Mario Savoldi. Mario, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, we had such a great time when we did Gorilla uh, that I was looking forward to this. Yes, I can't tell you enough how much I enjoyed that conversation. I felt like 
you really made me feel like I, I knew him because you knew him so well. It made me feel like I knew him. Yeah, he was an exceptional person. You know, uh, since we had that conversation, I kind of just been reflecting on going back and, and just looking at all the guys that I personally knew. You know, I mean, uh, it's I start writing their names down. I think I'm on page 15 <laughs> with, <laughs> with double lines, you know, Bull Curry, the Sheik, Johnny Rods, Eddie Graham, Mark Lewin. I mean, Pat O'Connor. I, I mean, I got to meet all these guys when I was a kid and drive with them in the cars when we drove to different places together. And it was just a whole different experience than, you know, like I'm still very involved with, with the wrestling uh, as far as staying updated with it. And uh, every once in a while I do speak with Vince and I'm good friends with Ben Brown from WWE. He's just a super guy. Yes, and I watch uh, the, the the new program they have out now and everything. But you know what? What I don't see, I don't see the old the guys, the connection like like what we had in the dressing room, um, the Albanos and the Monsoons and the, the Fujis, the Tanakas. They they there was just such a different connection in those days. Then I think today, you know, everybody, they wrestle, they get their taxis or limos and they go get a plane and they fly. We didn't do that. We wrestled. We cleaned up. Mm -hmm. We got in the car. We bought some bologna and some wine and we drove to the next town. It was a different way of life. Yeah. And, you know, some people have told me to the who are in a lot of locker rooms today that Another big difference is, and, and we, we don't talk too much about, about modern wrestling on here, but the wrestlers are not as involved with each other as they used to be because a lot of times they're on their phones, you know, or they, they're in their own little world. They're not, you don't see the card games anymore. You don't see the dominoes games anymore and things like that. It's, it's, it's much more, um, uh, I don't know what the word is. It's not as much of a family a lot of the times. If you walked into the Boston Gardens or Madison Square Gardens, the first thing you did was see what poker game you were going to get into or who were you going to play cribbage with. <laughs> I mean, that was your first move when you got there. We would get there early just to play cards. <laughs> That's great. You know, when I when I worked for WWE in the early 2000s, it was kind of that was when it was starting to change because I remember, and that's why I say a lot of it is because of phones, because I had the job of, I had to interview a lot of the guys. So I would be in the locker room trying to chase these guys down and, and talk to them. And I started noticing when, when smartphones were coming out or blackberries and things that they would put the little speaker in their ear and they would be on the phone or texting or talking to people almost the entire day. And it started, and I started noticing there was less, you know, I, I caught the tail end of the card games every now and then you might catch the undertaker or somebody leading a card game. And it just, uh, that's a thing of the past for sure. Yeah. With the giant man, with Andre, you know, no matter where I actually put my daughter to, through her first year of college playing cribbage with Andre. <laughs> and and that's when we had the, the, the airlines had to strike. Uh, 
and we had to drive everywhere. And uh, we had taken, uh, we had actually Vinny and I, young Vince and I, uh, after the garden show, the next morning we had to take, if you, I don't know if you ever seen the picture with Andre holding the four girls on his shoulders. Yeah, George Napolitano it, took that. No, no, that was done in the studio. Oh, okay. That 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 was done in the studio, and uh, Vinny and I the next morning after the garden, we had to be there. I think like nine thirty. We had to be there, so I meet Vinny downstairs. Now we got to get Andre, and I'll say at nine thirty, Andre maybe got an hour sleep. He shut the bar probably around eight thirty. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're going over, and it's hot. I mean, it's hot, and we're walking. And we figured we'd walk to get Andre to try to get him back to normal to go to this studio. Now, we we get to the studio, and it's a real fancy place. I mean, I looked at Vinny, and I'll never forget. Vinny says to me, exact words he said to me. He said to me, Mario, one day you and I are going to have offices just like this. I mean, this place was like a tent. So anyway, they get in there. Now they got to do, they tell Andre to take off his shirt. He is sweating like a mule. And the girls don't want to go on his shoulders. And he's picking them up and they're sliding. Uh. I mean, and Vinny and I, we are crying. We are laughing so hard. But it, it, it was, that's the way things were done in, in, in those days. I mean. Vince told us what we had to do, and the next morning we we did it. And then that afternoon is when we took the the writer from Sports Illustrated. Oh, we right. we we took him to Montreal with us, and uh, we're driving down the street. My cousin Tommy's driving. We rented this big van. We set it up so Andre and I had a table we could play cribbage all the way to Montreal. <laughs> We're driving down the street. He goes, boss, boss, stop it, stop it, stop it. That's a, a hardware store. And like, what the hell are you going to buy in a hardware store? And he gets out and he comes back with two garbage cans. He goes over to the liquor store, throws some ice in one can and Molson beer in, in it. And in the other can, just warm beer. And he had, a, I'm going to say, five or six bottles of Crown Oil. Jesus. Well, now the we're in the back of the van and he's drinking. This is like nine o'clock, ten o'clock in the morning. He's drinking. The guy in the front is Sports Illustrated asking him questions. And every time he asks Andre questions, Andre goes, I answer, I answer. Come on, we drink. We drink to Canada or we drink to whatever. Well, I'm gonna say about three hours into this trip. This poor guy is hanging on to the front seat. <laughs> my, my cousin kept saying to him, do you want to stop? Do you want to stop thinking maybe he's got he's going to get sick? And uh, the guy after the trip that night after Montreal, we all went to the hotel and he said the the guy, the sports and I don't remember his name. And he said that was probably the greatest day of his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he didn't expect that. I mean, uh, that it's it's always interesting, especially back then when somebody like that would get 
pulled into the wrestling orbit and we get to see what the wrestlers lives were like, you know, uh, behind the scenes kind of a thing. Well, keep in mind in those days, you know, we hit everything, right? I mean, you know, everything was like, you didn't talk to nobody. You didn't tell anybody what you were doing or it was, it was between the guys, you know, you left the dressing room and that was the end of it. Well, I wanted to but talk. To, yeah, go on, go on. No, but I'm just saying today it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, well, you know everything's totally out in the open now. You don't sure. really ha- have sure. that closed society that you used to have, you know, back then. And and also, but the other side of it is because you're talking about Sports Illustrated, right? Interviewing Andre the Giant. Now, back then, that was a very, very, very rare thing for the mainstream sports press to do. But oh now, my gosh. But they they all look down on wrestling. And I think nowadays they don't do that as much. You see Sports Illustrated covers it. ESPN covers it. There isn't that same stigma anymore. Yeah, it, 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 that was, I mean, I think, I think with that, Vince Sr. blew everybody's mind that he got Sports Illustrated to cover that. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was uh, Andre and Khan, Killer Khan. When he broke his ankle. Uh, when he broke his ankle because we had spent, I had spent uh, like two weeks, three weeks with him in, in Boston at, uh, at the hospital. And uh, that was a unique experience in itself. Now he, he injured his ankle actually getting out of bed. Isn't that what happened to him? He actually, he, yeah, he, he got out of bed and he twisted his ankle but then he he used it and he right. was he was going up the stairs and he in the garden and he really messed it up and he just yelled Khan to come beat on him and that's what grew out of that. It, oh, it, okay. It it grew out of that and it became a big thing. Yeah, I mean that was national. They I remember they would they would send that video clip to all the other territories where you know to 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 put over killer con and it was you know a unique kind of thing well we we were in the hospital and uh beth israel if i'm not mistaken in in boston and uh they had to get a special bed they you know it, it was just everything they did had to be special and uh the, uh the one uh, they had doctors come from all over the world to examine him because he was a rare case and very, you know, like it was hard to find a guy like him that you could examine and do it. So the doctors were flying in from all over the place to check him out. And uh, they had told him, they had said to him at that time, they had said to him, Andre, here's the deal. You know, you're not going to stop growing. You're going to keep growing we could do this operation and hopefully it could stop it. Uh, And uh, he had said, if you don't do the operation, how long do I have? He said, they said maybe 10 years. And he said, what's the chances of uh, the operation? And they had said 50, 50. And he said, I'll take the 10. And that's what he did. And, I'm going to tell you within maybe 30 days, it was 10 years. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was well, maybe mid-40s, I guess, when he died, yep. wasn't he? Yep, yep. I had talked to him. He had went to France. His mother died. And he got home. And as soon as he got home, his father died. He had to go back. And then two days later, they found him in the room. I remember reading about that at the time and I, I was talking, I've spoken to other people on here about it because I, re, what I remember about that is it was Andre the giant, Carrie Von Erich and Dino Bravo. They all died within a couple of weeks of each other. It was, it was yep. wild how that happened. Yep. 93. Yep. I think. Well, yep. I, I also wanted, I want to talk a little about your dad. I think that's really important because um, I remember when we spoke the last time you told me this and I, I never knew this. I always wondered about the connection. You had said that your dad, Angelo Savoldi, that he got the name originally because he was being presented as being the younger brother of the original Jumpin' Joe Savoldi. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And Jumpin' Joe Savoli, of course, was former world heavyweight champion. I mean, especially and one of the biggest stars, especially in the New York area, going back to back to the 30s. So that was probably a really that probably made his career, I'm guessing. Yeah, he uh, he just fell into it, actually, you know, and they just gave him the name and it fit. He went on from there. He made his own, you know, he did his own dues, you know. Yeah. He, uh, I think in in one of the uh, the uh, uh, newsletters or whatever, they they said he was probably the greatest jobber ever. <laughs> That's kind of a, a backhanded and, compliment, I think. Yeah, it was. It was because he could make anybody look good. But he also had I, a lot of success in his career. I think oh, over in, in in Oklahoma, I couldn't. That's go what to I mean. School. They had to yeah. put me in a private school. I couldn't go to a regular school. I had to fight every day. They had to put me in a private school. They hated him. I mean, they when, when I mean hate, I mean hate. We used was, to have paint thrown at our houses, our cars. That's when he was wrestling for Leroy McGurk, right? Leroy McGurk, yes. And that those were the years, too, where they had him as the junior heavyweight champ. And, of yes. course... Yes. He, he'd be going against Danny Hodge and everybody loved Danny Hodge. So it made him, you know, the most hated well, he guy. Trained, you know, he trained Danny Hodge. Um, what had happened was Leroy wanted to make Danny um, uh, a champ, uh, a, a wrestler. Right. After he tried boxing and Leroy um, in, in Oklahoma, Leroy McGurk had a great name. I mean, this did. He was just a great guy, too. Um, I don't as much as I should, but Mike, I, you know, I try to stay in touch with her and and we just we all grew up together. You know, it was a different time. And uh, my dad, they were training uh, Danny Hodge. They were doing what Vince is doing now. <laughs> you know, Vince now for the big matches, you go to the his own arena and you work out and you work out some of the angles. Well, when they were taking Leroy, uh, Le excuse me, not Leroy, when they were taking um, Danny Hodge 
and and uh, going to turn him into a wrestler. My dad was the one working out with him because that was Leroy's goal was that when because my father had said to Leroy, he was getting ready to. That's it. You know, we didn't want to travel no more. And and he wasn't staying and like I lived most of my life in Tulsa. Uh, but then in my senior year, I finally got to go to my own school in Persephone. And then after that, my dad was not going to travel much anymore. And he was starting to get it in with Vince Sr. So he was looking at that for his future at the time. And whenever he would have to leave here, it was not good for him because somebody else would take his place. So uh, he had, uh, they had gotten together with, uh, and I guess Leroy convinced Danny Hodge to become a wrestler. And my dad and Danny became very close friends. But after he got stabbed, my father hadn't spoke to him. Oh, geez. For I don't know how long. And George Napolitano, I think, had a lot of, to do with this. He up somewhere in upstate New York, he threw a convention and he got Danny and my dad back together again. And let's and, mention that because uh, you mentioned the stabbing. We we can't just put that right. out there for people that don't know the story, right? Your dad was stabbed by a fan. It was stabbed by Danny Hodges' dad. Oh, right. Oh, my God. How could I miss that detail? I forgot. Yeah, right. Because Danny stabbed. Hodges' dad wasn't smartened up. Right. Right. Now, keep in mind, Danny Hodges' dad was a true Indian. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you know, he was, I'm not sure if it was Cherokee or what, but he was a true Indian. Right. Yeah. He jumped in the ring and took my father from the, uh, the top of his uh, uh, elbow. Uh, I'm sorry, the top Shoulder. of his, uh, yeah, all the yeah. way across to, to the back. Oh, my God. that's And, and you horrible. know, like says, somebody wrote he had 22 stitches. He had 222 stitches is what he had. And so he and Danny never spoke after that? Or was it related well, to they that? Did, well, they, they did, but it was like, you know, like Danny, you know, Danny made sure he got home and stuff like that. But then, like, the years went by and then. Uh, George had thrown this convention up in New York City, and and the guy who helped put it together was Nick Bockwinkel, and uh, it was like it was a great night. It was just a great night. And there's somebody who, if you say who's one of the top ten people in the whole world, it's Nick Bockwinkel. Yeah, I I was very lucky to meet him. One time, but it was very special because they, when they inducted him in the Hall of Fame at WWE, I was working there at the time. And we basically sat together through the whole WrestleMania after party and just talked. And he was the nicest guy. He really was. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, whenever we would do something with, when I was still with the ICW, whenever we would do something in Vegas or anything and he was living there, I'd make sure that he got involved. He was just a great guy. He picked me up at the airport and we'd go out for dinner. And I just, uh, you know, but that again, here's a guy I truly never knew, but he was close with my dad. And because of that, he respected, he showed me the respect that he had from my dad to me. 
and we became friends and it was like you know it it's a it was it's a whole different world today than what it is then i mean look there's nothing wrong with it i mean look what they're doing you know i hear everybody talking about how much money they make mm-hmm. i have some books that when my dad was handling the towns in uh new england I have, I was going through a book in 1964 and, and don't hold me to this, but I think it was Bruno Kowalski. I'm not sure. They did like $65,000 in 1964. You know how much money that is today? Uh, I know. And, and you hear about what some of the top guys were making then. I mean, you know, like a, somebody like a Bruno Sammartino in his prime was making more than the NFL players were making and, and more than Major League Baseball players. Yeah, well, making. well, Bruno got 10 percent of the house. Yeah, that was his that was his pay. 10 percent of the house. He was making six figures, you know, in, in yes. 1965. Yeah. The average person's salary was what? Not even 10,000 a year, I don't even think. Yeah, but, you know, like even myself, at that time, I was just a referee, and I would go to Madison Square Garden and not even referee, just be the guy like Vince would, Vince Sr. would say, make sure everybody gets in on time, make sure this and everything else. And he'd give me 300 bucks, plus I'd get paid from the state. <laughs> you know, I'd go home with five $600. And I, I was, I'm talking 1970. So, but now you never wrestled, though, right? You never. Uh, no, I never wrestled. Never there, wrestled. What was the reason? Oh, I was just I wasn't big enough to, to 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 wrestle. Did your you know, dad? I, did your dad want you to, or did he? Not? No, 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 no. Uh, when what had happened was originally, I I I got out of high school and I opened up some Italian restaurants and I did very well with them and I sold them. And I went into the music business, record and tape shops, and I had six of them, and I sold three of them to Sam Goodies. Uh, one was in a major mall, and uh, that's how I I started. And then my dad had just I sold the record shops, and I was just home doing nothing. And he says, "You can't just be home doing nothing. Take a trip with me." And we went up to Maine. And uh, one of the referees didn't show up. And he said to me, you're going to have to do this. And (laughs) in the ring, I went. (laughs) And from that point on, I started that. And then uh, I used to go to the TV and Vince used to let me. uh, Well, didn't let me, but Vince asked me if I would sell the tickets in the front in Hamburg. And I start doing that. And then little by little bit and like if my dad couldn't make a town vince would say well you go to the town and you call me let me know what the house is and little by little i got more and more involved and then uh there was a trip that had come up to go to uh, australia with uh bruno and mario uh, milano and uh, i i had went on that trip and, that was for uh, Jim Barnett, right? Jim Barnett was running Australia at that time, I think. No, no, this is this was actually against Jim Barnett. 
Ah, okay. Uh, Mario Milano was going to go where he was. He came from there. He was going to go against him. And we had Bruno, Fuji, Tanaka. We had everybody on this trip. And then a few years had passed. And then Mulligan and Murdoch b- bought Amarillo. And uh, without my knowledge, uh, Blackjack and I were very close friends. Uh, Blackjack went to uh, Vince Sr. And he said, could I take Mario to uh, Amarillo with me? And they bought it from the Funks. Right. And so I went to Amarillo. I spent a year and a half there, I think. And that's where I found Tito, Teddy. I took them back. I took them back with me, Tino and Teddy. Right, because they came in about 79, the two of them, at yeah. the same time. Yep. yep. I took them from, <laughs> funny story with that is, I begged, I couldn't get them, I couldn't get, um, whenever I needed talent, I would call Gino, Rilla. I would call Gino and say, Gino, can you help me? Can you give me some talent? So he sent me Andre, he sent me Bruno. I mean, he sent me everybody. So now, uh, Funks and and uh, it's not working out. They had a, a a person there. There was a third person involved with. There was a weird situation, the way the territory was run. Because even though you owned it, you didn't own it. There was the Kozaks, and they owned the arena in Amarillo. So even though you were the owner of the wrestling, you couldn't have wrestling if the Kozaks said you couldn't get into the fairgrounds so it was a, a, a weird thing and it just wasn't working out and uh i had told gino i said gino i got these two guys here that are fantastic it was three actually uh they they, they refused i wanted to take manny fernandez back because what a talent that kid is yeah he would have been great and uh yeah he was but because he was smaller he just wasn't going to fit into new york and uh matter of fact, Gino sent me you remember Steve King? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get Steve King King there, and Steve King can just about speak English. And I got him in Amarillo, Texas. I have no idea what to do with him. So I shaved his head and I called him Silent Cloud. <laughs> and we made him an Indian. And he said he lost his speech when he was a kid and we did it and where he was given some kind of a sign language to another Indian and they were telling the people because we were afraid if we did sign language somebody might pick it up <laughs> that's true so so all of a sudden we go to the arena we go to the Amarillo stockyard and this place is full and it's all these Indian women and people with gifts for silent cloud <laughs> we're all eating bologna and he's getting <laughs> <laughs> but uh i had talked to monsoon and i said i i really got these these three guys so he talked to vince and vince said no he still said no he didn't need anybody at the time so vince said mario you talk to him because they were at tv when i called him and so Vince got on the phone and I said to Mr. McMahon, I said, Mr. McMahon, I said, here's the deal. There was People Express just started at Lubbock, Texas. And it was $29 to fly each way. And I said to him, 
I will buy their tickets. If you don't want them, didn't cost you a dime, I'll fly them home. But if you want them, I want my money for the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of laughed. And we're at Hamburg TV. And I said, the only thing I ask is that if I could pick the two people that are going to work with Tito and Teddy, and I picked Johnny Rods and Jose Estrada. Perfect. Because I knew if Johnny Rods wants to make you look like a million dollars, you're a million dollars. That is one of the greatest performers in, in, in wrestling. I couldn't agree more about that. And I think more people need to understand that because, you know, I think for people that only look and say, oh, well, uh, you know, he lost every match. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If, uh, he Very often he had the best match on the show with whoever he was with. Uh, I, I was just talking to him the other day, again, for the Gorilla book, and we talked about exactly that, about what a hard job he had and guys like Jose Estrada had because they were there each and every TV working with all different kinds of guys. And, you know, there's a reason Johnny Rods was one of the first people inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. There's a reason for that. Look, if, if I would say if you look at all your, your stars of the past – I would say without a Johnny Rods or a Strato or a Sanchez or, or a Peter King, uh, uh, not Peter King, um, can't think of his name now. Uh, but without them, there would be none because they looked as good as they, they did because Johnny Rods made them look as good as they did. Now, I've seen Johnny when somebody tried to get smart with him and that match changed and that guy didn't look so good. Right. And those guys sometimes would be better workers than even the people that would be on in the main events. You know, if you really oh, want they, to break look, it down, look, that's not even a question. They no. were better. They were better workers. Yeah, they were, they were the best of the best. And that's why, you know, like to me, uh, when I had the ICW, if if I could, if I got Johnny Rods or Jose Estrada, they were my main events. They weren't my opening match. They were my main events. I mean, to me, they were the best of the best. Now I have to ask because uh, <laughs> I'll put this out there that you know your your friend Dan Archambault, who is silently listening as we have this conversation, <laughs> uh, he, who is involved with you with the ultimate classic wrestling. Um, he mentioned to me a, a great story involving Eddie Einhorn's IWA. One of the things that Vince had you do to help him during that era when you and your dad were, you know, working are you talking with the about McMahons. the, are you talking about the ballpark? I don't know what I'm talking about because Dan told me to ask you about it. Something well, involving, uh, something involving messing around with Eddie Einhorn's show. Well, there was they they were running against us at the uh, Jersey City ballpark in Jersey City, New Jersey, um, and it was the same night as the Garden, and they had everybody on the card. So there was about fifteen of us that I got together, a bunch of guys I got together, and we went over to the Jersey City ballpark 
and we were giving everybody flat tires <laughs> at at the ballpark. And then we went in, we were in the stadium and we're telling everybody, man, you got a car out there, man, they're vandalizing them. They're giving them flat tires. I mean, we got like 20 people going through the bleachers telling them and all the people are leaving. But that's when uh, uh, Einhorn really, really gave a big shot to come in against, against, uh, against uh, Vincent. And, yeah, and it was a and, bold move. I mean, they were trying to go national at that time when nobody had done that, and and they were stealing Vince's guys. I write Victor Rivera went there, and a, a few of the other. Uh, guys they had and they had Mil Mascaris as their Mil champion. Mascaris, they had uh Igor. I think uh, didn't Koloff go there? I think Koloff went there. Koloff went there. They had uh I'm trying to think of all the guys they had there. And how we had found out about it was that it was starting was that apparently they had tried to get I don't know if you remember not the son, the father, Miguel Perez. Sure. Well, I don't remember him, but I definitely know who he was. Yeah. Miguel Perez, uh, from what I found out, Miguel Perez, or from what my dad had told me, was Miguel Perez had called up Vince and said that they were trying to take all his talent and that they didn't, they weren't going to go because they were working with Gino at that time in Puerto Rico. And um, they, they, they didn't go, so... We had checked it out and found out about Jersey City. And Vince said, can you get a, can go over there and disrupt it? And we did. <laughs> yep, that, some, of the guys, some of the guys got locked up. And <laughs> I hope you bailed, aren't one of them. No, we bailed them all out. We got everybody <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, those are the kind of things that went on. I mean, a lot of times people don't realize, you know, I, I know when I was working for WWE, it was right on the tail end of when, uh, they were at war with WCW and they were going head to head on television on Monday night. And everybody knows the story about when, you know, Vince had some wrestlers try to get, get into the arena where they were doing WCW Monday Nitro and it didn't happen. They weren't able to, but I mean, that was nothing compared to some of the things that used to go on back then. Oh, no, I mean, no. it was, it was insanity. It didn't hard. Yeah. I think Remember the story of Harley Race showing up with a gun or something? Yes. Pulling yes, it on it, Hulk Hogan. Yes. Look, let me tell you, at one point, but keep in mind, this was people's livelihoods. Exactly. You know, it was, it, you know, this was their livelihoods. I mean, uh, and New York was always the gem, no matter what. You know, <laughs> Vince used to say all the time, I can never, un I, I remember when I was younger, I would go to my dad with my dad to the garden and I'm talking about maybe 16, 18 years old, somewhere's in there. And I'd be with my dad. And of course they always let me go in any room I wanted to and everything. And Vince would be over there with his coins going up and down. And he would be talking to the daily mirror or the, the, the New York news. And he would say, he would be saying, yeah, he says, you know, it's a little discouraging only having a half a house and everything else. And he was take, giving the guy cigars and everything and all this is going on. And I, I can remember saying to my dad, Dad, 
he told the guy that the place was only half full. That place was loaded. And my father used to say, don't worry, kid. He knows what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't want the newspapers to write that Madison Square Garden was sold out, you know? What was he worried about? Well, he didn't want anybody to come in. He didn't want other promoters to say, hey, we got to look into New York. I mean, keep in mind, you had Madison Square Garden. I mean, if 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 you look at 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 what Vince Vinny's Vinny's doing tremendous money now, but what he has to put into it to make it, young the senior did he made tremendous money senior. I mean, if you would take a normal month, one month, we would do Baltimore, Washington, Pittsburgh. Uh, Meadowlands, Madison Square Garden, New Haven, Springfield, Providence, Portland, Maine, Bangor, Maine. We would do all those big shows in one month. That meant, if you averaged that out, that meant one and a half to two big shows per month that he would do Twenty-five to fifty, sixty thousand dollars in, and you're you're talking the sixties and seventies, right? That money today is like a million dollars, and like you said, you didn't have to put as much into it to get out of it. I mean, in terms of production and all the overhead that they have now, certainly it was nothing like what they needed back. Madison then. Square Garden, he do his normal buys in the daily record, uh, the news and the Newark news. Uh, I used to have to take the ads over to, to uh, Newark to give them to the Newark news. He do the ads in there. We had all our local TV stations. Every angle was shot for a different TV station. Providence was shot for Providence. Uh, Boston was shot for Boston. Fitchburg was shot for Fitchburg. Every station shot their own. At TV, when we did TV, we used to get there. Tuesday, we had to be there at 1 o'clock, and we'd get done Thursday. Well, Wednesday night, actually, but really Thursday. By the time you got the footage and everything from, I can't think of the guy. He's still with him, but his dad was handling it. Sure, Kevin Dunn uh, is the one Kevin that's Dunn. there now. His dad, right. yeah. Yeah, his dad was just a great guy. And that guy would work in the truck making these dubs until two three o'clock thursday morning then we would get them and then have to drive that many times leave there and have to drive it over to um uh where the hell is it uh providence rhode island because they played on a friday providence played on a friday so we had to get it there so a lot of times Vince would say, well, one of you is taken. We'd get in the car and just drive it there. But it was a whole different ballgame. Yeah, and I was going to say, when you and your dad, when when your family started your own wrestling promotion in the 80s there, ICW, or as it was later known, IWCCW, a lot of letters in there. But when (laughs) when you started that, uh, that was after Vinny Jr. had taken over 
uh, with the WWF. So, so your dad wasn't involved anymore at that point yeah. with the WWF, right? No, my dad actually, and 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 some people come out with some stuff that really shouldn't say anything if they don't know what they're talking about. My dad had retired about two months before, maybe it was even longer than that, but he had just retired. And I had a relationship with Mr. McMahon, and the only thing there was, there was talk going around about Bruno. Bruno had quit. Bruno walked out. And, and Bruno, the, you're talking about the first time, '81, when he this retired. Is, yeah, 19. I think it was '80. Was it '80 right. or '81? I think well, it was '81. '81. And so he retires. Bruno comes. Bruno calls my dad, asks if I can come to Pittsburgh. He wants to talk to me. I go to Pittsburgh. Bruno says he wants to start up the ICW. And uh, he had, uh, I don't know if you remember Mike Mittman. Sure, sure. He was the, they used him as the timekeeper time on keeper, TV. Yeah. Right. Mike Mittman was going to be the announcer. Bruno, him and Bruno were going to do the commentating. We were going to, he wanted to get David Brary involved. We had the Valiants, Johnny and Jimmy. We had uh, Dominic DiNucci. Uh, the only guy that did not come with us was Sekluna. And I always felt that Bruno kept him there, so we knew what was going on. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, be surprised. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But we had Davy O'Hannon. We had uh, we had a great group of guys, and uh, I had went to Vince, and uh, I had I did the tickets that night. And at the end of the night, I said to him, I said, Mr. McMahon, you remember you said if you would always respect if I was going to do anything, that if I was to tell you. And he said, yes. I said, I said, well, I think I'm going to go with Bruno. It's an opportunity for me. And and I can just see me going further with Bruno. And uh, he wished me well. And that was it. Well, we got that going. And then the next thing we know, Bruno went back to Vince. <laughs> and uh, we were we were running the same night. Our TV ran the same night their TV ran in Hamburg. We did it the same night and we were jammed. We were in this studio and we were jammed. And uh we were selling out just about every place we went to because we had Bruno as the commentator with Mike and uh, the angle that we were shooting for was David and Bruno together as a tag team. And uh, we had built up to it. And then Bruno had decided it was best for him to go back. And so we ran a few more towns in Pennsylvania. It didn't work well, but I had and a lot of ins in New Jersey. And that's when I got my dad back. I said to my father, dad, you got to help me. I got all these guys and nobody can work. You know, we're out of work. And uh, we start booking towns. And one at a time, we put the towns together. 
And then we started moving. Actually, we didn't go to Maine first. We went to Florida. We picked up a major station in Florida. We picked up an ABC station in Florida. And we start running Flagler Raceway in Florida. And we were running that on a steady basis. And we opened up uh, Fort Lauderdale and and everything. But we worked with Mike, um, Mike Graham. Okay. And uh, we told him, look, we got these, these places that want to run shows. As long as I can get some of my guys. And Blackjack was the booker. So that all worked out for us. And that's how we got them to come back to New Jersey with us. I had everybody here. I had Gordon Soley. I had the whole crew here. And I know, you know, when I started watching wrestling as a kid in the 80s, growing up in New York, in Brooklyn, all you ever heard about was the WWF. They controlled everything. They were the biggest promotion even before they went national if you were in new york wwf was huge and i remember uh one of the first shows i ever went to that wasn't a wwf show it was one of your shows and it was uh i was in high school at the time and i really didn't understand the way the business worked i didn't know what uh, independent wrestling was i didn't know that there were all these different wrestling groups out there and it, and it really was an eye-opener for me. And and I saw a lot of people on that show that went on to become huge names. I saw uh, Taz when he was still the Taz Maniac. I saw Tommy Dreamer when he was still wearing clouds on his trunks with uh, with <laughs> suspenders on. Uh, I, there, there, it was an amazing time. I think it was about 91 when you had Tony Atlas as your champion. And that yes. was a, that was a, I'll never forget it. You know, it, it wasn't a big show. It was a high school show. My grandfather took me, but I never forgot it. The Brooklyn Brawler was on it. You know, it was a big eye opener for me. Well, see what most people, everybody felt that they were going to challenge the WWWF. Everybody. WCW. Vern Gagne, everybody wanted to challenge them. That was not my attitude. My attitude was, I would call up Vince. Even Junior, well now, Vince Sr. kind of gets out of the picture now. Now it's Vince Jr. And I called him up and I said, listen, Tony Atlas is in bad shape. He really needs help. I can't help him. My shows don't draw that much. I can give them 150, maybe 200 if it's a big show. I can't give them what you could give them. The guy did a lot for your dad. Can you help me? He says, you and your father take him to my office. Me and my dad go there. We take Tony Atlas. And he makes him Saba Simba. And Tony didn't like that. And Tony is his own was his own worst enemy. He's still one of my best friends. Matter of fact, I'm going to be with him in two or three weeks. He goes, and instead of just accepting what he got, he got a gift. Vinny made him something just to make him something because he couldn't take him in as Tony Atlas because at the time he had, what's his name, uh, the black guy doing big time. Uh, trying to think uh, of that time who was there. That was Pat Patterson. Uh, 
what was the guy from Texas? Hmm. He's still Wood Vince. He does some of the treasure stuff. Pritchard. Okay. Oh, you're talking. Are you t- <laughs> the voice of Dan Archambault? Are you talking about uh, Bruce Pritchard? No, no, black guy. Black guy from uh, Texas. Wrestler. Wrestler. I feel like I'm on a game show. Let's see. I have all, all of his footage from when he was at Texas, when he was in Texas. Anyway. Yeah. He he. So he gives himself a simmer that all he did was bitch. And what does he do in the dressing room in front of everybody? And I believe one of them was Vinny's kid. He goes, I'm calling WCW and see if they can take me. Well, oh, my God. I get a phone call from my father. And my father goes, what the F? What is he, crazy? We get him there. Well, Vinny called my dad and said, I'm going to let him go. <laughs> and he did. And 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 Tony did go over to WCW, but he didn't last. He didn't no. last too, too long there. But the point I was getting to is I always kept my relationship with Vinny open. When I, when I went to the Philippines, I needed talent. I had Bushwhackers. I had Nineheart. I had Martel. I had Tito. I had everybody. They were all from WWF. He gave me that talent to go there. I kept the relationship. When he let Tito go, he told me a week before on this date, do you have any shows? I said, yes, I have a show in, in New York. I was doing it with Tommy D. Is that yeah. his name? Yep. I was the guy. doing a show with Tommy D and, uh, that's when we come up with the angle, uh, who's the greatest champion of all times. Who's the greatest intercontinental champion of all times. I remember that with the hockey talk man and Rick rude. Yes, and yes. that's when we, we took in Tito that night. But Tito wasn't, didn't I didn't book Tito. Well, I did book Tito, but Tito got booked through me through Vince. So I kept that relationship there. And we don't talk that much anymore, but like, you know, like I got to say that when I think I told you this, when my dad died, he called me up crying on the phone. Yes, you did tell me that. You, you know, you know, he called me up crying on the phone because they were very close. Because, see, when we started out in this business, the father did not want Vince to be involved. And then he told him, if you're going to run the town, you're not allowed in the dressing rooms. Vinny could not come in the dressing room. And... He started traveling with my dad, and I, I was the lucky one. I got with Willie Gilsenberg. So uh, Vinny is going in style, and I'm going with Willie Gilsenberg. <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> it was two different ball games, but uh, and Vinny and my dad very, very close together. And I know I remember because we talked about this too when we spoke last time when. When your dad passed, um, we were, I was working at the time in the publications division and I was doing stuff for the website and we were contacted. We got the official uh, word from the fourth floor from Vince and Linda 
to do uh, to reach out to you and to actually you know what this was before your dad died but we did do an obituary on the website when he died a, a long form article and a tribute to him and even before that we reached out to you when your dad was still alive and we spoke I, it was me i i interviewed your dad for that and so there was i definitely got the sense when i was working there that there was still a lot of connection and a lot of uh loyalty and just fondness for your dad yeah you know somebody somebody in the when when my dad left you know one thing there was was a lot of jealousy there was no doubt about it you know because vince senior took care of my dad like forget about it and uh when going back to that einhorn situation when that Ironhorn situation and Vince had to come up with all kinds of money to secure the garden and to secure the thing, my dad loaned Vince money. Now, other people gave Vince money, and Arnold Scolan being one, but he wanted shares. My dad wanted nothing. My dad just said to Vince, you pay me back when you can. And that was the relationship that they had. And if if it it's again it's it's a different time you know like my my dad might have screwed up once we got called to go to baltimore and uh that's when they were going to do one of the first when he just started doing the uh introductions into the hall of fame yeah and uh they first of all they they flew us to boston to open up the new Boston Gardens because Vinny wanted my dad to do that because my dad handled the Boston Gardens forever. And they took my dad, they made a big day out of it and everything for him. And uh, that was a big thing for my dad. I guess it was several months later, they invited my dad to go to, and me too, by the way, to go to Baltimore they were going to do like one of their first introductions and my dad turned it down and he said he had something else to do but what he didn't tell them was he was in the hospital and he didn't want to tell them that and I believe they were going to introduce introduce induct my dad into the hall of fame then i do you mean that like was, that maybe they were going to surprise him with it yes yes mm. they wanted to take him there they had hotels they said he could take me my mother and 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 whoever they were flyers there the plane tickets they had it all arranged and he turned him down saying no nah, he was sorry he had another personal what he didn't tell them was that he was in the hospital because he was too proud to tell him he was in the hospital. And meanwhile, the fun, the the crazy thing is they probably would have understood it more if he had told him the truth. But you, you had to know my dad. <laughs> <laughs> you had to know my dad. One thing you didn't do, if he says you're making a right and you know it's a left, you still make the right. 
Well, I, I want to talk. I know we've been talking a while and I don't want to take up your whole night. But while we have time, I want to talk a little bit. We mentioned it before and it's related to, you know, your your time as a wrestling promoter. But now you've got all this wrestling footage that you're sitting on. And, and everybody these days, especially the old school fans like me, are always interested in in checking out these libraries of vintage wrestling footage especially the stuff that vince doesn't own which isn't that much anymore so i wanted to talk a little bit about uh ultimate classic wrestling and and dan who i know is listening and i've been watching it if i've been watching you uh, observe our conversation dan archambeau who i know is involved with uh with mario in this project if we could if we could talk a little bit about it and and what's on it and how people could find it because i know this is the kind of stuff people like me live for yeah absolutely uh i just want to say real quick when he was saying uh angelo wouldn't sell he was in the hospital Savoldi's don't sell <laughs> called mario one day i'm like how you doing he's like oh, i got a little covid i'm all right i'm like dude you're 80 just take a nap you know <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> anyway that's that's what they do so before we so so Dan, what is your involvement with this project? First of all, um, I do anything on a computer, basically. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, um, but yeah, I've been digitizing Mario's tapes, getting them uploaded. We, you know, we launched the network last February. Um, so we got all of Mario's great content: the ICW, IWA Puerto Rico, um, the libraries Mario acquired over the years, like Wild West, the USWA um we sent to added since added a few things um got some distribution deals for um the pedro martinez library oh Baby that's an wf um, what else did we get robert wormez's library which is a lot of great chicago stuff bob luce's hall of fame classics things like that so now when you say the pedro martinez library are you talking about because i know that he had his company PM video that was putting out wrestling footage, even going back to the eighties. Is that the stuff you're talking about? Those tapes? Yes, sir. That's correct. Wow. Cause that is, um, that's some big, big time nostalgia for a lot of people. The stuff that was on those tapes, especially because, you know, for a lot of people like me, that kind of stuff was where I started learning about all the wrestling from before I had, been alive or, or a fan right. or anything and getting to see these people that my dad would talk about or my grandpa would talk about my uncle would talk about you know and actually seeing them so that that's incredible and the other thing incredible about it is i think a lot of people have wondered you know because that company's not in operation anymore have wondered what happened to all that stuff yeah um pedro and then his son seemingly licensed it out to quite a few places yes so it's around i mean back in the dvd era you you know any family dollar had a dvd of you know five matches from wherever but um going through his tapes it's interesting to see what he picked up because it was just like give me 20 random episodes from everyone Um, yeah yeah Yeah, i don't know if we talked about this but when i wrote the when i did the biography of the sheik there's a bit in there that Sheik's son was talking about the original Sheik of how the Sheik loaded up his car with tapes of Detroit wrestling, his own tapes. He, mm-hmm. he took the back seat out of his car, out of his big Cadillac and loaded it up with these tapes and drove himself down to Florida to Pedro and his son 
and sold them these tapes. And a lot of the Detroit wrestling stuff that's out there to this day, there's not a lot of it. Right. It's from that transaction. Like whatever's on, whatever's out there, like everybody, you know, there's the Sheik versus Mark Lewin loser leaves town match that pops up everywhere. That's from the stuff that the Sheik sold to, to the, to the Martinez's. Yeah. And I'm sure Mario can attest to this more, but it was standard practice to record like this week's TV over last week's. So yes. a lot of stuff is just gone. Um, that's why there's no footage of Amarillo. That was something Mario tried to remedy when he got there. But find a clip of Amarillo prior to 1980, you ain't gonna, you know. Well, that's that. That, that was something I tried to. I did not do, uh, and it was one of the big things when when we started with Bruno. We put it together. One of my, I mean, it was a must with me that we did not record over the tapes. I have, some of them are missing, but I think I have the first 15 tapes that we did with Bruno. And uh, I don't think we've shown but one of them. Am I right? We used a couple of clips, but we've been sitting on those yeah. for a special occasion. So. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I have, I have all of those. Uh, and they've never been... They've never been shown or anything. Yeah, it's always crazy to think about how all those guys used to just yeah. tape over their tapes. And and it wasn't even just a wrestling thing. That was common in television. I mean, the, there's the famous story about The Tonight Show when Johnny Carson, you know, kind of bought control over his own show. And he said, hey, uh, I want to I do something with the old tapes. And they were like, there are no old tapes. We don't have anything before 1970. Yeah. That was very common back then. Well, you know, when when Ben Ben came three times to my library, and Ben, ben Brown, uh, you're talking about Ben Brown, right? Yeah, he came three times to my library, and he was amazed how you could open up one of my tapes, and it was brand new. I mean, he said, like, like this tapes look. I said it was played once. <laughs> but, you know, a, ma- a a dub was made off of this, and that was it. And it was. That was it. This is the master. And uh, I have one inch. I'm going to say three or four hundred, maybe more. That we can't even get to because we're trying to find a place to do one inch. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard uh, hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we did a parade of champions. It was like, what, 800 bucks or that was half price or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I know it's not a cheap process because that's another thing I remember from the Sheik book is that his son, I don't know if this is true or not, but Sheik's son would claim that they were sitting on tons of tape and they just couldn't afford to digitize it. And it was just sitting around. And I I did some business. I did. I did some business with him. I have some of his tapes. Uh, We, we, we exchanged. Keep in mind, like when I did business with Vern Gagne, Vern would say to me, okay, I'll take Atlas and I'll take Backlund and I'll take Tito. And uh, to my shows, but who are you going to take? And I would take uh, Nick Bockwinkle and uh, at the time he had Zabisco and all those guys. So we would take them here. They would give me their tapes and I would show their tapes on television, but not as a whole. They would give me their one hour tape and I would take out the match with like if Zabisco's coming, I'd take out Zabisco, I'd take out Nick Bockwinkle. 
and 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 we would use those in our shows. And then the matches I sent to him, he would take out um, Tony Atlas or whatever. And that's how we changed talent. Uh, we did a big show in Florida. I can't remember the town we were in, but it was out of Tala- outside of Tallahassee. And and we did, and we had Sergeant Slaughter, everybody on the show. Oh, uh, the Kissimmee Center. Kissimmee Center. And that's when Vince really started to put his foot down. Uh, he, you know, like, because I was dealing with Vern. And ah, he right, started right. to put his foot down. But what most people don't know is I did the first. I'm not sure, two or three, two or three shows at the Meadowlands with, with USA. Oh, those pro, are my pro Wrestling USA. Those are my shows. Wow. We promoted those shows. I was actually just editing those masters today. We got, um, there was one with Jimmy Crockett, one with Fern, and I think two with Pro Wrestling USA. That's we got great. We Steamboat from, um, but on paper, they're all ICW shows. If you pull the paper from the New Jersey Athletic Commission, Marius of Oldie, ICW. <laughs> Are you talking about, wait, you're talking about the Flair Steamboat match from the Meadowlands yes. in 84? Yes. yes. I'm sold. Where do I Where do I sign up for this? <laughs> it's not up that's... yet. Give me a minute. <laughs> I'm one man. That's yeah. incredible because that's the, you know, everybody always hears about that match and how important it was for Crockett when they were trying to, kind of move up north and you know I remember... it was all my license that everything that was done that was when i was working with Vern Gagne and them that was all my license wow. mine and my dad's that that's yeah, we got flair harley from meadowlands too wow they, yeah they, they had tried to get into the meadowlands and they couldn't get in and my brother-in-law's brother was the head guy at meadowlands and so we we got in and then we ran Three shows, I think, there. And then, of course, somebody starts to get stupid. They contact the the uh, the metalwing, and they said they're going to they want to do a show without the Savoldis. But what they didn't realize was the guy they were talking to was my brother-in-law's brother. So we get a phone call, <laughs> and that was the end of it. They were out of the metalwings. Wow. See, I don't think people realize that, you know, how how some of those things work in terms of, you know, who owns what show. So it's interesting what's included um, in this library. Like I know, again, when I first started following wrestling and when I I didn't get cable until the early 90s, I lived in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and our, our neighborhood was not wired for cable all the way out in the ass end of Brooklyn. And I when I finally got it, I remember that the IWCCW television was one of the only uh, non-WWF shows that you could get. So I, I, you know, I would love to have a chance to see some of those shows again because that's, you know, that's my prime years of being a young fan. Well, we yeah. we we initiated Sports Channel. We were on Sports Channel for years. That, in both, I, right, I remember that. In yeah, both yeah. New York and Boston. Now you were saying that it's not all up yet, right? So what's the what's the status? Oh, I got of it plenty right of ICW up. Um, oh, okay. I, I bought a bunch of decks because it was cheaper than paying someone to convert them. You know, just to keep an eye on Craigslist. And it's like, all right, I'm gonna buy a Betacam deck and just do this myself. Um, 
So I, I do have plenty of everything up. I've been trying to go wide and not deep. So, that, you know, there's 20 episodes of this, 20 episodes of that, rather than, you know, 400 ICWs, for example. Yeah, um, that's wise. I think that's the way even WWE has been doing it with Peacock, you know, sprinkle a little here, sprinkle a little there, just get exactly. people's interests up, you know. Yeah, eventually I'll get it all, but uh, it'll, it'll be a minute. Mario's got, what What do you got, 5,000 tapes, boss? Yeah, over 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. I've done about a hundred, so we got a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so how for people that want to find out more and people that want to find this stuff, what what's their course of action? What can people do? Uh, so we're currently on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. So if you just search Ultimate Classic Wrestling on there, um, we should be the first option. Um, we got a web version launching in August. So if you have neither of those devices, you can just watch it in a browser. Um, then later throughout the summer, we got Apple TV and other versions coming. So that's trying great. to get everywhere they'll take us. That's the plan. <laughs> well, I'm as soon as we stop this, I'm going upstairs from my office. I'm going on my <laughs> my Roku television and I'm finding this app immediately. And I'm not just saying that. And I don't care what my wife and my son say. <laughs> that is what is happening right now when I go upstairs. So <laughs> well, there's plenty free to watch. Uh, you can do a seven day free trial if you just want to poke around. Um, otherwise, it's six ninety nine a month. Um, I add new stuff every week. That's so. great. That's great. And you know, when I, when I post this too, I'll put up links and, you know, cause uh, I have a website for the podcast and I've also got a Facebook group and I'll, I'll let fans know because oh, appreciate I, it. I could appreciate say without a doubt, the people that listen to this show are your target audience. So yeah. that's why we're here. <laughs> we, uh, if we, we also got uh, a Spanish network ready to go up, right? Um, yeah, we'll be uh, a company called Triple B TV is launching a um, Spanish late Spanish language sports channel. I unfortunately don't have all the details, but um, all of the IWA Puerto Rico in Spanish is going to be on there. So, oh, yeah, there's wow. some great uh, Habla Espanol, IWA de Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough, Dan, and especially Mario. Thank you. For, for agreeing to do this and and share your your stories your memories I always say it and people always tell me this but it's important to capture these stories and these memories from people that lived it in our business so thank you uh, my my pleasure and if ever I can be any assistance give me a holler there you have it folks my conversation with the great. Mario Savoldi. And Mario, thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Dan, thank you as well for coming on and talking about Ultimate Wrestling Classics. Check it out if that's your bag. It certainly is mine. So thanks to those guys for coming on the show. Keep listening to the show because, you know, we always have great guests here. That's why, you know, Mark Maron's producer wanted to interview me because of this show. Well, not really, but we have great guests on this show each and every week, as you guys already know. And next week's a big one, because next week is another one of the Children of Pro Wrestling Legends series, because it's going to be Kurt Beyer, the son of the sensational, intelligent destroyer, Dick Beyer. Kurt has a great story about growing up the son of a legend, growing up spending a lot of his childhood in Japan, things like that. And he's going to share it with us next week on the show when we do uh, the next episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. And... Lots of other guests coming. I've been booking people left and right lately. I have people coming down the pike, such as Megan Baker Kelly, the daughter 
of Ox Baker. Again, another one of those special episodes in the series. I've also been talking to Maniac Mike Edison, former pro wrestling magazine editor. He worked for wrestling's main event. He's been a lifelong fan of pro wrestling, and he's been also instrumental in my career as a pro wrestling author. We'll talk about that when he's on the show. He is also, of course, an author in his own right and a dear friend. He's on his way to Shut Up and Wrestle, as is Jessica Solt. You guys are going to love this one. The daughter of Bobby the Brain Heenan, who is a laugh riot herself and is very candid and very nostalgic about her childhood and about growing up the daughter of really one of the funniest and most talented men in the history of this industry. She is delighted to be a guest on this show, and she's going to be coming up in the weeks to come. So keep listening. You can find Shut Up and Wrestle on our website. That is the place to get all the episodes, suawpod.com. Of course, you can also subscribe to it at all the usual places, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, you name it, you will find it. And while you're at it, join the Facebook group for Shut Up and Wrestle. Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. And yes, we did recently break 1,000 followers and members of the group. I know we could do even better than that. So uh, you'll find lots of great content there. There really is no reason not to join. So please do. If you're interested in the other stuff that I work on, I've been talking a lot about podcasts. So I'll talk about the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast, which I co-host with Al Castle, PWI Senior Editor. Please do give that a listen. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And of course, as you guys know, I write for the magazine of Pro Wrestling Illustrated as well. You may have heard of it. And you can purchase digital and print copies at pwi-online.com. You can also purchase copies of Inside the Ropes magazine, which I also write for digital and print at insidetheropesmagazine.com. The book that I talk about a lot on this show, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, can be purchased on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in, in real retail outlets, brick and mortar, or online. It's pretty easy to find. I also have a limited inventory of signed copies if you're interested in one of those. You can reach out to me at Solomon at yahoo.com, or you can get me at Twitter or on Instagram, and I will be happy to work out something with you. Before I mention some of those social media contacts for myself, as far as how you can reach me, I do want to make mention of the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. If you haven't given it a chance, please do, and subscribe. You can get it on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page, posted there every morning as well as the wrestlingnews.com. You can subscribe to it there. And because it technically is a podcast, you can find it also wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you're looking for me on social media, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. On Facebook, I have an author webpage, Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website, on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that a flute with no holes is not a flute, 
and a donut with no hole is a dangerous. So long, wrestling fans. 